Somewhere in Oregon, 1845, seven figures make their way across a landscape. It's somber, brittle, vast. They're seeking the West, a veritable Eden of riches beyond imagining. Maybe they're just looking for water. Kelly Reichardt's Meek's Cutoff from 2010, life hangs delicately in the balance. Tempers, temperaments, social roles, gender roles, these things shift more quickly than the landscape. The landscape doesn't change very much. This is MoobTube, a podcast for all y'all out on the Argon Trail. And joining me in this ill-fated journey across the sands are Ralph Pritchard as ever and Laura Alonso Corona, uh, writer, translator, and they said I could say this, failed film school dropout. Am I, I shouldn't say failed film school dropout, so successful film school dropout. We've got two film school dropouts here. We've got three dropouts altogether. This is like three dropouts. Dropout triptych here. This is amazing. So, Lara, like you chose, you know, you chose Mix Cutoff. Introduce us a little bit. Um, I've, I've always been, ever since I saw uh, All Joy, uh, Kelly Reichardt's second film, but kind of the first in her own style. Uh, I've been very, uh, I've been fascinated by by her uh, style. Um, I I watched uh, Miss Cutoff on the biggest screen, which I think I would recommend to everybody. A bit hard to do in lockdown, yeah. but and and I was I I don't know I was really blown away by how um, confident a filmmaker is and how uh, deliberate she is. Uh, and I'm very familiar with uh, all her movies. I don't know you guys have you. Uh, I'm really not. I'm. I've. I've seen. I've seen Meek's Calf before. I'd forgotten I'd seen it actually. It was um, until I was watching it. I was like, "Fuck, this is." Yeah, I've watched this. You know, it's um, kind of slipped back in. But I haven't. I know. I know of her pretty well. But I. I don't think I've seen again unless I've accidentally seen. I don't know about you, Ralph. Have you seen more than Meek's Calf? I've seen. I think I've seen most of her films. I've seen, I think the one I haven't seen is the one about the cow. First cow. Oh, it's pretty I- good. I haven't seen I've that one. I've heard this is really good. I've seen Night Moves, which is, is which is so. There's there's Rivers of Grass, which was one she made like ten years before she made her second film, and mm. I don't really remember much about that. But Old Joy is like very much, yeah, as you say, in in the Reichardt style. Meek's Cutoff, I've seen yeah. uh, Wendy and Lucy, which is very kind of realist and pared back, simple kind of story about. Um, uh, a woman in a very difficult situation. She's, there's a there's a dog tied up outside a shop. Um, accusations of theft, assault, um, and then yeah, and then Night Moves, which is this kind of eco terrorist thriller with Jesse Eisenberg, which I think was Jeff probably meant to be a bit more successful than it was. It's but I think all of her work her is quite underplayed. A, a kind of doing a more kind of Hollywood, big big bigger. Was that her attempt at doing a sort of bigger Hollywood film? I think it was her producer's attempt, probably, but I think she just makes yeah. it in her own. It feels it's very similar to Meek's Cutoff. It's just a different context, mm. if I recall correctly. But I don't think I've seen. Yeah. Oh, and I've seen certain women. She did the one with the three women: Laura Dern and Christian Stewart. Laura, Laura Dern's great. And um, yeah, that's really beautiful. Actually, that's a more conceptual piece. But then I haven't seen the, the first mm. cow. Um, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard. First cow is really great. Like yeah, it's very much film. another western. 
Is it another Western? Okay, yeah, so yeah here's, it's kind here's of another thing. Western, yeah. I feel like they're all Westerns in a certain way. Yeah, oh, when they are losing someone. Yeah, I mean, Laura, what do you, what do you think Kelly Reichardt's like, draw to the West? Why is she attracted to the Western as a genre, do you think? I'm not sure she would agree with that because uh, when Mixed Cut-Off came out, she insisted she wasn't making a Western, she was making a desert poem. I don't think she likes <sighs> Westerns very much. <laughs> Which fair enough because I don't either. I, I've fallen in love with her already. This is uh, <laughs> just, yeah, calling it a desert poem. I mean, so let's unpack, let's talk that through a bit. So you think, why why do you think she's so, because it, in for all intents and purposes, it has the it's set in the west it's set in the right era maybe a little bit earlier than you know sergio leone the john waynes the deadwoods all of that it's set a little bit 1845 right so she she's aware that she's making something that could be misconstrued as western mm, i think she's kind of uh, taking the tropes of western like you said like you have all those elements of classic western but she's somehow uh denying them like she keeps the cowboys out of frame. It's always focusing on the women, on the labor. Uh, she doesn't um, shoot in widescreen. She has the academy ratio frustrating any kind of uh, spectacular mm. in the visuals. So she's taking the western, but somehow she's not even uh, revising it. She's uh, denying it. I think yeah, I think I think I can definitely see that because when you said keeping the kind of cowboys out the frame, there's a really good sh uh, scene where they they hit a big river. Like the irony is that they're searching for water and then they suddenly find way too much water, um, and they can't cross this river and they need to make a decision about going south or north. And you see the men talking on the beach, but they're kind of out of out of uh, audio range. You can. With subtitles, you can see what they're saying. That's the I thing think... I was really perplexed by because I turned on mm. the subtitles, and then I thought, should I have turned on this? Like, yeah, <laughs> if in a cinema would without. it be loud enough that you could hear them, or are you meant to only just hear them? I think you're supposed to kind. You're supposed to be in their position, right? You're supposed to be at the position of the women who are back with the wagon train, and they're kind of excluded by definition from that world. Um, a world that normally excluded women. It was like, ironically, the women were always out of frame in Western. Mm. Yeah, yeah, always, you know, and here, I mean, here, I mean, obviously, as we'll find out, like they, they play, the women play the kind of decisive narrative role in this film um, and the points of conflict, really, because the men are kind of pretty useless. Like Stephen Meek himself, like the guide is useless because he doesn't, he's lied about his knowledge of the country. He doesn't really know he's doing the men range from kind of amazing indifference kind of like oh it'd be fine to kind of panic to one man refuses to he kind of he kind of fulfills the role of this kind of anorexic saint almost he refuses to drink water and he and so the the, the role of the men is actually really diminished like the the void at the center of the film is the fact the men are supposed to be the hero of these tropes right and actually they're Pretty useless. Pretty useless. And, and yeah, I mean, what, the women are sort of under pressure to 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 kind of reassure the men that that the good ideas that the women had were actually there. Right? You know, there's a sort of like there's a kind of humouring that happens to save embarrassment. They're kind of treated as if they are in control of the situation, and actually, 
the f it actually would be a lot better if it were pointed out earlier on <laughs> that, they, that they were not in control <laughs> of things because it ends up leading them down a path that's um, that's uh, not particularly fruitful. No. I mean, so, I mean, Laurie, you said that in terms of it was a poem, kind of you used Kelly Reichardt's phrase. I mean, that, the overriding sense from this, like you said, there's a focus on labour, it's very little dialogue. Um, there's lots of kind of very wide, you know, even though, you, like you said, there's the academy ratio, there's almost like wide shots that are squashed into an academy ratio. It's very weird. And these long transitions between scenes like what what kind of do you think kelly rockets like consciously making a kind of statement about america or about the west even while denying it and do you think she's using poetry to kind of make a maybe contemporary political point or kind of conversate like to forward a conversation about gender or do you think it's something other do you think it's purely an artistic experiment I think it's all of those things and also an artistic vision and uh, kind of try to keep the mystery because uh, her movies, um, people don't have much backstory. There's there's almost no psychology in her films. It's all about the character in the circumstance, which are normally uh, economic circumstances, even here too, with the need to immigrate in the Oregon Trail to yeah, yeah. a better future or whatever the set of set of things uh, they are gonna find and i think that informs uh, her visuals trying to not let us know too much about the characters about their psychology so we have to keep it in you know in the image more than yeah. in anything else yeah i think i think that's true because you you're right there's no there's no grand narrative. You, we don't know where these people have come from, whether they're already wealthy or not, whether they're uh, what led them to hit the frontier. Because obviously, the, the the mythos of the frontier in America is this idea of manifest destiny about the American right to roll west and kind of seize and conquer. And it was kind of dressed up as this, you know, quasi-religious um, journey. And she does everything here to kind of quash that because it's such an ordinary banal thing. Like, you know, there's so much loving attention paid to like um, labor and to, you know, fording a river, washing pans, hanging, washing, uh, guiding the ox, like every, everything about it just kind of emphasizes this banality. But the banality kind of like has this poetic, beautiful quality to it because it's so nice to like listen to this film. Like I had headphones on, I was like, the crunching and the muted conversation and the crackling of a fireplace it's like it's very like just just um like a kind of massage like a visual and oral massage almost like watching this film um but i'm kind of curious because obviously reichardt chose not to put the film into context maybe americans know the context but like stephen meek was a real person stephen meek did lead a load of settlers on this unusual path um, down the stem which they talk about and they he decided to take a kind of shortcut and obviously shortcuts lead to long delays like and I think there were hundreds of people in the actual journey and lots of them died and it was this big dramatic thing but like Kelly Reichardt's chosen to like simplify it and focus on just a handful of characters who are kind of I guess stand-ins for the people who were really on the journey um, but the thing I'm most interested in about maybe maybe most interested about is their encounter with the native american um 
Sorry, do you want to kind of talk about that? Like the way they encounter this man and like kind of what it says about them, I guess? Because he's the main point of conflict in this film, right? Uh, Reinhardt is a pretty white uh, director in in many ways. So uh, I don't think this is meant to be kind of a critical Western, kind of a deconstruction of all the racism. But yeah, in the end, it's kind of like uh, ironic to how powerless the the white men are in the in the movie that uh, this Native American and a white woman are the ones who have like the power of decision at the end of this kind of yeah. odyssey they are going on. And yeah, that subverts a lot of uh, Western tropes. At, at, at the same time, we we are we are viewers uh, as are not sure if you know the Native American is gonna lead them to safety. So it doesn't buy into this kind of uh, friendly, selfless uh, Native mm. trope either. We are completely yeah. in the dark. The most we learn about the Native American is through Stephen Meek, who spouts all this bullshit, like this this vague Orientalist bullshit about like savage man he kind of makes all this stuff up about tribes and he kind of guesses which tribe he's from he has no idea we have no idea this man might be an outcast um they're paranoid that they're being pursued right and they're because he drops something and i cut there, there was a scene in the film where he drops something or they believe he dropped drops something and there's a big debate that ensues about whether he's leaving signals to other people well meek essentially is looking for some kind of power move and mm. the the best kind of power move like all dictators is to try and point at some kind of outsider as a threat and claim to be able mm. to solve that problem through kind of brutal yeah. force. That's, 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 so that's, they forget about uh, his failure. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very, um, and, and initially he doesn't succeed. Um, they all, everyone decides that actually the uh, this chap they've come across is, is probably better alive than dead um, and, you know, they don't have much else. It's kind of yeah. It's kind of amazing how Meek is overruled in that moment. Yeah, it is because he 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 puts himself forward as the uh, the insider who understands this land. There's a really good bit where he's talking bullshit about it's like being at the smoking area in a pub like uh, like midnight on a Friday, right? And he's just talking about ah, uh, you know, it's like I wear gloves on my feet. You know, I feel the sand. I feel the stones under my feet. I know this land, I know everything. And it's like, mate, you don't know anything. You have no idea where you are. You're kind of guessing about like the people that live here. You know nothing about anyone. You don't know the language. Uh, Cause he, he guesses that this guy's Cayuse um, from the Cayuse tribe. But he then he occasionally talks about Blackfoot and he kind of lists every tribe he's heard of. And it's, it's a really great moment of watching someone kind of try and bamboozle and mystify people who don't know any better and they're they're polite enough because i get the impression they're relatively well-educated people right they're they're polite they're 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 godly i guess you know and they're respectful of him because he they believe that he might come through and the men but the men believe more than you know the women but that's where the tension comes from because ultimately the confrontation is between the women Stephen Meek and 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 one of those women stands up for and, and effectively saves the Native American's life. Right, that the the famous scene which is reprinted on the DVD box and it's on the film posters of her holding the gun that it's at Stephen Meek. It makes it's the quite, film look like it has more action than it really has. <laughs> totally yes, because I was, yeah, I, I was think there's a, I... there's a definite <laughs> mis-selling there, which I think I totally understand. Yeah. But I was looking, I was just looking on image image search, and there was um, 
uh, yeah, there's a, a kind of quote from a critic, Karina Longworth of The Village Voice, which mm. says, this is on the YouTube trailer, uploaded by Movie Trailers for All in 2011, uh, oh, which well. says Meek's <laughs> Cut-Off is, for all, it's very inclusive, um, Meek's Cut-Off is a real movie movie with star performances and literal life or death stakes. Um, really? <laughs> which is like, I guess, in point of fact, not not incorrect, but it just does, does not give the impression no, no, it's, of the film it's not. at all. Because <laughs> you, you think this is going to be like, guns blazing um standoffs like it, it, yeah you're right and it's when you actually get there like, like you said Laura, like it's there's a moment where she points the gun at stephen meek and but it's not really a confrontation because he's actually quite powerless and he kind of accepts his powerlessness doesn't he and he's like oh fine if that's what you want <laughs> and just yeah he almost wants away. to be proved he wants to be he wants something bad to happen just kind of to, that will vindicate his his projection but of mm. course he also knows that he doesn't know Deep down, he knows that he's kind of talking crap. And so he it's very inst- inst- unstable for him. And so he acts in more and more erratic ways. And, and we don't know as audience, like... No, we don't know either. There's mm. a moment where I think it was uh, yeah, Michelle Williams' character that, uh, who wonders out loud, is he ignorant or evil? And, and we don't know. <laughs> I think yeah, he's yeah, ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he's ignorant. It's good though, because they have these, there's these really interesting conversations that happen, like these little whispered conversations that happen mostly between the men and wives, you know, at night. And we get these little insights. And often it's the men asking the women what they think, which is quite interesting. Um, he's like, what do you think? And it, it's a kind of like strange power balance. And sometimes I think Kelly Rycott keeps it quite, subtle there's good, well, there's good behind scene. every man is a, is a great <laughs> great woman <laughs> but it's, there's some really good scene where they're i think walking at night and you can kind of see the the um torch they're holding like the the lamp but you can't really see the bodies and there's lots of good scenes like that where the dialogue's very muted and they're kind of talking whispering and kind of and it's like fuck you you guys are fucked and like you're in the middle of nowhere you're running out of water you're being led into the beyond by this this complete charlatan and it's amazing how polite the whole affair is right did you get that impression like it was all all these kind of social norms and etiquette like they were calling each other mr and mrs and it was like the they were trying to pull civilization along with them and act like they were just still in like still in the east i guess do you think that um, was they, part of they the, are losing they are losing bit by bit their civilization yeah. like the bird dies so they can afford or they set it free they can afford that kind of luxury then they keep losing personal objects heirlooms until oh, you know. the chair the, the chair the ch- that gets pushed out of the uh, cart that's an amazing the chair shot. gets pushed out apart and the clock i think that she throws yeah. out unceremoniously because in my mind i was like oof I was like, why? Why would you try and be careful? Like, it's a lovely chair. This it. <laughs> <laughs> lovely rocking. He's like, that's my mother's. <laughs> and then she's. He's like, be careful. That's my mother's. And then she's like, okay, sure. And then just chucks it out the back. <laughs> it's really good. But I think you're right, Laura. Like, there, there is. Yeah, they're slowly kind of shedding civilization as they go, um, because I, I suppose they realise that what like this stuff's kind of useless where they are like the knowledge that they hold so dear and so central is like rocking chairs and clocks and uh pastors from the bible and bird like like kind of elegant birds like this stuff is meaningless when you have no map and um, even uh in in the uh connection with the native american there's this kind of uh, still holding on to pride of civilization where the character mm. of uh michelle williams says uh you don't know what we've done the cities mm. we've built 
like she's bragging about white culture, oh, uh, God, like yeah. being the this amazing technology when they can't even find water by themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of shows the dependence, I guess, of um, civilization. So you've got cities and you've got water and you've got gold. So why did you leave? It's uh, like a gear of of God. Mm. Yeah, it it's like it's like the secular wrath of God. <laughs> but yeah, so the question is, yeah, it only compared to me now, but why, why leave if everything is so great where you are? And I guess it's the underpinning story of all, all colonialism and all colonial enterprise. But how, I like, I'm, 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 I'm kind of like a virgin to like a Kelly Reichardt in a film so this is my first one so you've both seen loads how does this fit into that is there like a consistent is this like a typical Kelly Reichardt film she edits her own films actually that's an interesting fact um which is quite unusual for directors directors don't tend to Double do that threat. although yeah. she says she says she said in interviews you know I'm the, I'm the cheapest editor they can afford but um <laughs> But um, that's probably false modesty. I mean, they're edited very well, but they have this very distinctive editing style that if it was another editor, you might wonder if it was their style um, of like things, wide shots where you, yeah, where you can't often hear the dialogue or you can hear the dialogue quite faintly and then like immensely close shots. And it works particularly well mm. with this, um, with 4-3 Academy ratio, which is a much more, so it's a, it's a ratio that's much more conducive to, um, close-ups of faces um mm. it doesn't handle wide landscapes as well but it it does handle them perfectly well um but yeah you have this kind of this thing between it happens a lot in old joy as well like i was re-watching old bits of old joy before recording and there are these real it really does blot between quite wide shots and quite close shots and there's something because it's not really about the characters. I mean, Old Joy has a bit more of a characterization thing about these two guys who sort of went down different paths, but I feel that that's mostly arbitrated through the dialogue rather than through a sort of um, Cassavetti-style character-driven mm. <laughs> rehearsal process. Which are very psychotic like, almost. <laughs> yeah, that's like the complete opposite of this. There isn't that much psychology, and, and it's, it's funny seeing someone like Michelle Williams, who I first saw her in Blue Valentine, which is like a very character-driven, relationshipy kind of film. Um, and this, and in this film and in Wendy and Lucy, uh, is a very, the acting approach. I mean, she's great in it, but it is like very much less is more. And yeah, it's very subtle yeah. performance. What about you, Laura? Do you think this is, yeah, a kind of, how does this map on to like Kelly Reichardt's films as a whole? Very, very Kelly Reichardt, more so that something like Night Moves or Certain Women. Uh, it's very much like Wendy and Lucy and Old Joy. Um, now uh, the latest one, First Cow. Uh, uh, some people, you know, usually complain about uh, Kelly Reichardt's uh, films, saying that they are slow, which I guess is a characteristic of her yeah, movies. Yeah, seems like she's doing that on purpose. We're very tolerant of slow <laughs> films here on movie. We. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was surprised uh, because I was reading some reviews of Mixed Cut-Off. I was surprised how uh, this film as a masks very. Many critics as normies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saying that, oh, this is so slow. This is uh, so painful. It's like being on the Oregon Trail. This is. And it's, it's not even a two-hour uh, two movie. It's really it's short. short. It's, it's very easy to watch. You want to survive other directors like Belatar or Lavdiad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lavdiad. And exactly, this as well. Like, it, it's almost like when it comes to genre films and i think genre films are always 
always interesting to to fuck around with like whether you're doing it kind of intentionally or not because then you've got like fritz lang doing m and kind of very early on in history of cinema kind of doing film noir better than everyone else or you're doing you know it's like it's almost like the academy or the kind of film critics can only stomach you can only you're only allowed to um fuck around with a genre film if you do it in a way that's completely appreciative and normal like everyone says well uh clint eastwood doing unforgiven that was the ultimate kind of deconstruction of the western film it's a fine it's a perfectly good film but it's still a fucking western film what the cowboy's old like that's <laughs> the only difference like clint eastwood is kind of sundowning in it um but yeah, here it's like, yeah, it's it's slow, but it never advertises itself as anything but being a slow film. And if anything, it's too short. Like, you know, it it finishes in on a beautifully ambiguous moment, um, right? Yeah, it like does actually feel like truth. it finishes early, which is a very rare thing for any film to feel mm. like you you know you're watching it, the credits come up and you're like, oh, well, that's, that's, that's that's what do you? I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna play a stupid parlor game here, which I think is idiotic. But what what do you think? Um, what do you think happens to them? Do you think do you think Kelly Riker intends tends their downfall? Is she set us up to have like a? Do you think these people are worthy of being saved? Do you think they're going to be saved? Do you think they're going to find water? Do you think they are capable of surviving? I think they're going to be fine. Uh, you know, for two reasons. Uh, one, the historical mixed party. You know, some people die, but most of them, you know, got there fine with the help of Native Americans. And also because I don't think the film would want to, uh, you know, reward Mick. Mick. Yeah. If anything, it would want to reward uh, Michelle Williams, uh, Emily, in her faith than the other way around. And you want to believe the connection between uh, Michelle Williams and the Native American is real. You want to believe, mm. uh, you know, he's also searching for loneliness in this situation where he's been basically kidnapped and he's searching for kind of an ally so you want them to be uh, real allies mutually and you want them to kind of triumph as much as you can triumph in this situation totally yeah because you know it's kind of um they're 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 a straight they make a strange duo in a way but they do kind of support each other i mean not not that he does much and i what i what i was really curious throughout was kind of like i wish i could speak kaiusei (laughs) <laughs> and understand what he's saying because there's a lot of moments where he gives the impression through his kind of mannerisms that he's kind of uh, he's got this kind of like i don't know what the right word is this dour um kind of moody attitude and he's obviously just kind of calling them fools or idiots occasionally what's the situation with that like when you have a a language being spoken in a film that the vast majority mm. of viewers won't understand yeah and also it's crucial to the plot that like that there's mystery surrounding what's being said yeah like what did they all write a script in that language when was do i think it's they're, they're, they're wrote in english and they, they got language experts because they, um, they can use dialect that they want to use it's pretty much extinct but what okay. was the script saying do, they, do, like where how do you just how do you decide? There's an article just... out there, like if you if you want to. Is, there, think... is there a Kelly Reichardt subreddit that where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, the real Reichardt heads it, out there. It right. keeps it ambiguous. Yeah, You're yeah, not yeah. going to no, follow what happens. It, it's all ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. Oh, do you think that's yeah, a good good thing sense. in film? Because sometimes I think when you've got it's used as an othering device when you've got 
you know, the sort of person who's talking another language. It can be used as a kind of threatening, especially when you subtitle everything else and you choose not to subtitle a different language. It can, it can sometimes, yeah, it can sometimes other you and distance you from that, um, uh, that character, make them seem more distant from you, more alien from you. Do you think, do you think it would be more powerful, like Lara, if, if they, if Kelly Rucker had actually subtitled his dialogue? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a political decision in a way. You are uh, further in othering uh, a character that is already othered by by the other uh, people in the party and by history and by the history of Western genre. Like mm. they are the punching bag of the genre. I I would have I would have kept the dialogue ambiguous but subtitled it, so you could maybe see the distance between you know, mm. what the character is saying and what the other characters think he's saying, what they are assuming, how they are projecting their hopes and their fears on him. I think it would yeah. have been interesting. I think it would have been interesting. I can't really think of an example, you know, sort of top of my head. I can think I think, I can think of plenty of bad examples where, um, you know, sort of Russians have classically fulfilled this role in films where, you know, you've got the Soviet, the great red under the bed, um, and their dialogue is often not translated, and it's because the the great Russian evil. Um, and here, yeah, it felt like it lost out. But yeah, maybe it's it's interesting they chose a Kaius because Kaiser, like you said, the language is dead. I think there's 140 Kaius left. I, I don't know. What do you think, Raj? Do you think it would have been an interesting? Would you have like subtitled uh, his dialogue, a subnamed character? Um, I th I think I wouldn't have done actually. I think it's sort of in the spirit of of the film to stay on the side of ignorant on the side of the western ignorance i think that sort of mm. that sort of works for me but i also don't think it would have been a i think i don't i don't i don't think it would have made a difference either much of a difference either way because i think you sort of know that 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 i mean obviously if he knew where water was and he wanted to tell them where water was he would just be like water there you know yeah, what I mean? I mean so it's like, <laughs> you can more or less like glean that. Like, I mean, everyone wants water, right? There's no, there's no like cultural difference there. Like, so it's obviously he, you know, obviously he, he, he doesn't know where there. exactly where the water is, and he's probably got a better instinct than they do. That's why they do follow him. But do you think he's? Do you think he's? Do you think he's lost though? Because it's ambiguous about why he's out here on his own. Like, is the entire possibility is that he himself know, is lost, or he himself is running away from something? I don't think. I don't think the film uh, wants you to ask those questions. I don't think Kelly Reichardt films uh, wants you to, you know, think about the past or why the characters are there uh, it's inevitable because most uh, film we consume is really obsessed with this uh, psychological questions but mm. i don't think the film wants you to do that yeah i, like that. I absolutely that... agree they're kind of yeah. they're films ab about the present moment really um yeah they're very very embodied in that in that in those gestures and those moments um which is, which is why it was like, it was a joy to watch, right? This is a, some slow films can be hard to watch. This really isn't. Almost, it's almost like Bressonian in a way. It's like Bresson, like his kind of obsession with gesture and small things. I kept things. wondering about the Bre like, this is my new, I mean, this is, I'm very Bresson-centric, so. <laughs> and look, every, almost every time we review a film, I'm like, how is this different from Bresson? Um, and like, but with this film, there was like, it was like, I think it was even less like, less anthropocentric than than Bresson like it was like the peop the, the the people were were less important in the in the, in the frame um 
And also, yeah, a bit less about gesture and a bit more just about um, about sound, actually, I think. The things I remember most are kind of the flowing, the flowing of the stream or, or wind or like fire or um, like crackling fire and, um, and the landscape. I think the landscape comes to dominate a lot more than in Bresson. But yeah, there is just also just like a, a, a directing style that gives a lot, I think gives a lot more space to personality, but doesn't preload any of it. Like I, I think the, um, mm. I doubt there was very much rehearsal on this film. I, I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I think just some filmmaking styles don't require rehearsal. Um, yeah, because you're, yeah, you're just sort of dealing with a very clear set of, um, circumstances and then the well, actors almost well, in a kind of Meisner style way they just play within those circumstances yeah because presumably as well like there's large parts of the characters what they're doing is simply living mm. um you know they're they're actually driving cattle across this plane and you it can't act that you know because you are focused on the moment of moving the cattle which i'm sure to pull dano or whatever is quite an unusual thing he's probably not done before so he is focused on it or washing dishes or you can't yeah, they almost always have tasks to dream. do yeah, it's like task focus, right? Yeah, you can't act fording a stream. There's no way to do that. <laughs> like, you just ford a fucking stream. I mean, probably the actor's like, fuck, this is cold. Like, you know, like, I can't imagine it was particularly nice, kind of, like, going up to your, like, shoulders in a in a raging stream, but... Uh, as far as I know, uh, she doesn't uh, tell the actors much about the, what the process is going to be, and I think in this film particularly, some of the actors weren't happy about it because they didn't know, like, they, they would have these uh, scenes with dialogue between the men, but the camera would be on the women. And I think some of the actors were a bit uh, pissed off at that because they didn't know that was going to be. They thought they were going to have the focus. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite good in a way, because, yeah, I guess it puts people on edge slightly. And if you want, these characters are supposed to be on edge, I guess. Um, and the animals, they were shooting with a lot of animals so that would keep, every, keep everybody on their toes. I mean, that's the great thing about animals. The, the best and worst thing about working with animals on film is that animals aren't self-conscious. Mm. They don't perform. They don't know they're being filmed. So in yeah. a way, you, is that sort of like the, the for a certain style of acting, that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? To, to be as unself-conscious as, a, as, a, as an animal. How do you feel about Westerns in general? do you know what? i'm i know you said you like larry you said you you're not a fan right i'm i was brought up on the diet that my dad is an avid western fan right which i think comes with like a lot of like my my dad isn't divorced but he's got like divorce he's always had divorced dad energy uh about him um but he's um yeah, he's he's psychically divorced. Um, but he, yeah, he's he loves westerns. He really does. And so, I, I, from a young age, I, was, I watched a lot of them. Um, I enjoy it when it's done well. Like I don't enjoy the stupidity of John Wayne, but I think you know, kind of like I said, when you can kind of deconstruct genres, I think they become really interesting. And I think Deadwood. I was talking about Deadwood to you the other day, Ralph. Mm. Uh, have you seen Deadwood, Laura? It's only one of my favorite shows ever. Yes, <laughs> I okay, love it. Great. <laughs> there we go. Like I, I fucking love Deadwood. Like, and yeah, it's it. a western in the same way that I guess Meek's Cutoff is a western. But but isn't this always the thing with genre? Like, well, not really, because some people do love genre. But a lot of the time, like arty types like us, will sort of say that our favorite version of a genre is 
and then we'll say like some Tarkovsky or some, someone who doesn't really do the best science actually. fiction is um, <laughs> is Solaris that kind of thing exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I like I like genre like don't get me wrong like I think genre done well it's like nothing like watching a well constructed like thriller or whatever like it's it's a joy to watch but yeah like westerns i guess westerns are difficult a lovely only what about you ralph how, how are your feelings about western genre are you are you uh honestly it's a big gap for me i have seen yeah. i've seen a fistful of dollars and um i think i've seen red river as well but um the sort of american culture from which you know the west the most well-known westerns come from i mm. i don't find it doesn't and i was watching when we were researching the famous famously contentious jodorowsky episode i did try and i tried to do el topo and i that yeah. all my all my reservations about westerns and my reservations about jodorowsky seem to combine in a, in a firework <laughs> of reservations <laughs> well, so I yeah mean, maybe, overall i'm not a huge westerns fan but well, I, the, I also the, i i I'm, I'm willing to be you know i'm willing to watch more westerns i think it's more like America never had, like the Soviet Union, as it were, a state-sanctioned propaganda. But it does have genres as propaganda as standards for it. And the West, the West itself is America's founding mythology, like modern America's founding mythology. And Westerns, like the John Ford Westerns you mentioned, are, I guess, are the propaganda films of America. So we treat them with, a, I guess, a kind of... Maybe I'm wrong about that, but we kind of treat them with a kind of like the same way we might treat watching a how the steel was tempered in Russia or something. And we kind of treat it with a kind of the, the same attitude that you treat propaganda or, you know, because they are they fulfill the same purpose. Right. Macho, macho frontiers man but goes the, and conquers the, the savage natives. They justify and, settler colonial. Yeah. So is that but there, there, are there like genre films about the Raj that like justify the British Empire, <laughs> like about the trains and stuff like is the, <laughs> the East India mean. Company? Like, no, it's like really no, but English people never really bothered to, to shore up their their conquests with like trashy films that might be debatable i can't i can't come back to you on that because i'm like maybe it's true but no it no it was because i think kind hearts and coronets like i think i think i think there is definitely like a that's a great a definitely tradition of what you're on about a great film but like there's definitely a tradition of films set which are set in the raj and are set in in the empire right kind hearts and coronets isn't set in the raj let's talk is it not? Of course, fuck it. What am I going on? It's about? an Ealing comedy about else. someone who kills yes. kills Have various members of their family, all played by Alec Guinness. Oh, for fuck's sake! I've completely fucked up. That is propaganda thought. for the British. <laughs> that is propaganda for the British. <laughs> there we are. Um, I'm thinking of something else entirely. Fuck it. Whatever. Um, the Jewel in the Crown I mean, is what you're thinking of. Jewel which, in the Crown, which is a TV series based on a, a long novel, a novel series by Paul Scott, and it was yeah, it was there a TV series made for ITV. But I would don't, I would say that the Jewel in the Crown is quite critical of the Empire. Well, I mean, westerns are still critical of like there is still an uh, undercurrent of of malevolence and evil. And I think with the UK, you've got okay films like Zulu, a war film which completely justifies justifies the heroism of pointless British escapades and and British blood being spilled in in you know Africa, for example. Um, I think yeah, I think Britain does do it. I think it, you know um, war films for Britain. I think. England, oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's World where we War go. Films, that's where right? we go for propaganda. It's fucking. It's war films for the UK. It's westerns for America. It's war films for for England. 
Thank you very um, much, Laura, for joining yeah. us on this special episode. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank ne- you for bringing some some actual insight. You said you would <laughs> bring some sk- some skills and expertise, <laughs> and you've done it with your incredible back knowledge of Kelly Riker and of this film specifically, which we don't have. It's made us look very good by so. Next next week we're turning to we're turning back to our Neanderthal roots with Daniel Neafitu, <laughs> who is going to be. Oh, when are you gonna talk about uh, Christmas movies at some point? Yeah, we're gonna talk about we're gonna review. It's a Wonderful Life. Um, oh, that's interesting. Which I've never yeah. seen. Um, you know, but you're in for a treat, mate. But Daniel and and um, Owen both have strong opinions about it, so we're going to we we <laughs> differ deeply. I th- I think it is a deeply provincial conservative film, which is a call for. It's an acceptance of kind of. Um, suburban failure being the kind of post-war consensus. Sa- like, save it. Know. Save it for Christmas. Save it. No, no. I'm just so <laughs> angry. Laura, Laura, do you agree? Do you agree? Because like Daniel was like, oh no, it's actually a really radical like critical film. It's kind of anti-capitalist. What do you think? I think it's kind of both at the same time and I've been Damn. going back and forth uh, <laughs> about that, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more skeptical about uh, Capra in general as I watch more, you know, classic cinema and I have different thoughts on classic cinema than when I was like 20. So I'm I'm glad someone is going to drag uh, Capra, yeah. Yes, I'm going to I'm going to be there. I'm dragging Capra next week cuz like Daniel Daniel is wrong, but we'll we'll hear it all next week when we do our Christmas up.